Well, um, back at CCHS in high school, a, a freshman year, we, we had to do a history project. Yeah. That year I did it on the Hunley House, um, you know, murder. Ooh, uh, yeah. Good one and, and, and so I, I, I did that uh, freshman year. And then for sophomore year, I wanted to kind of, it was just a written paper. I wanted to take it in another dimension and actually kind of build a, a model of something. And, and, and then I, I literally just learned about Buckminster Fuller by my sophomore year. Um, which was, I guess, about 1983 or so. And, and at that time, it, it was a rental. And so I went uh, there, uh, met the renters, and, and they allowed me in to, to take measurements of everything. Yeah. And, and so over about a, a two- or three-month period, primarily listening to the cars for some reason, that was the, the cars uh, <laughs> who are an amazing band, of course, but I, I just remember just listening to them throughout this pro two-month process of building a scale model of the geodesic dome, and... I cut out like 5,000 individual pieces of sandpaper for the shingling, mm -hmm. and, and it, was, it was a really sweet piece of work. It, 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 it won its state and, that year, and that was for, for Mrs. Grimmer, and then I went on in the next two years and did group performances uh, uh, for Mrs. Grimmer's uh, honors history class, and we took those both years to nationals and stuff, and that's something that CCS just kind of always did, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of areas where, you know, uh, folks would really have an opportunity to excel, even though we're kind of down here, an oasis in the land of Hickdom, if you will, um, here in Carbondale. <laughs> <laughs> did you, like, did you, so did you, do you feel like you purposely stumbled, like, came, ac came across Buckminster Fuller? Well, I couldn't like believe that I wasn't aware of that b b b before that. Right. It, it, and then just how, how significant it, it was and how, you know, there were over a million of these structures around, you know, planet Earth. And, really? And, yeah. And, and, and at this point, yeah. Um, and, um, and and here he was, uh, you know, a resident of Carbondale and an SIU professor, and and actually, you know, uh, lived in one of his own dome homes. Though it was interesting, as you probably have heard by now, the the dome home that he lived in was a was a kit made by a company called Peace, mm -hmm. P E A S E Dome, and, and so um, it was kind of a result of him him licensing that his design out to other folks and then actually purchasing one of those kits. And actually, um, the, the dome on the lake, Bucky's Haven, is the exact same kit as the one that they used to build the house. Really? Yeah. And it was it was built by Ira Parrish, and it, that actually it seems, but it seems like Bucky's Haven is so much bigger than the house. Well, because you you have the open walls around. Okay, it. all right. Yeah, and and that was actually built in '64. It uh -huh. went up that early um, with the Fuller Dome going up in '61, and then and then uh, Bucky's Haven went up as early as '64. Hmm. Yeah, that, but was also um, put up by Ira Parrish, who who passed a couple of years ago at, at age 100. Wow. Yeah. And Parish Acres is is was his creation, o over over by Parish School uh -huh. and, and all that. That's that's all his namesake. Really? Yeah. Huh. That's yeah. that's also yeah. I, I de that that's another one to think through. Is like I, I definitely need to dig into the the Parish uh, legacy in town. I I, I you know, I've, I've rented from. Uh, Greg, right? Greg's the the brother that owns Eastgate. Oh, okay. Uh -huh. I think I, uh -huh. I don't know. I've, I've but I, I've rented from I've rented from uh, from him before. So I mean, I know he's accessible and just you know he's I mean he talks like I'm sure he could sit him down. He would tell me all about the new era dairy. Oh, and great the development of town. Abs and, absolutely, huh. absolutely. Oh. You know, especially a lot of stuff from my childhood. I. I was born in in '68, mm -hmm. actually about 200 feet south of here, in, in Holden <laughs> Hospital. Uh -huh. 
And uh, yeah, I grew up here in the 70s um, and, and the 80s for a couple of years. Well, let's, let me do <laughs> an intro for the WTF Carbondale podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives and tie it all back together to this little old place we call home Carbondale, Illinois, episode 70. Brent Ritzel, the man that knows the introduction because he fanboys out on the old <laughs> podcast. I appreciate that, sir. Uh, this is this is the kind of podcast that if there's if there are people that this is made for, it's people like you and myself and and MK on the previous podcast who are who are just Carbondale files, mm-hmm. right? It just absorb everything that is this place and its history and its prospective future and yeah, yada, yada, yada. I don't know mushy gushy. I do that plenty. <laughs> One often are accused of having an inordinate enthusiasm <laughs> about, about Carbondale. That is, that is, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you, you put it kinder than my wife does, but correct. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, um, we were talking before the podcast, the, uh, you know, not so much on, on your, uh, you know, coming of age story and, and Carbondale start off with, but starting with your parents' story and how they came to be oh, yeah. in Carbondale. What brought them here? Well, uh, they both were SIU students, 1961, from different sides of the river. Mm-hmm. My dad from Valmeyer, Illinois. My mom from Arnold, Missouri. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and, and they, they met as freshmen. Actually, uh, they had mutual friends, and they, they were driving up to St. Louis for some kind of show. And... Uh, my mom had to sit on my dad's lap for for the, those couple hours, and and that's how they met. Yeah. no no better way to get acquainted than to be physically in each other's breath space for three hours, and then if you can deal with it that long, I guess there's a lifetime to come. <laughs> and of course, my dad wanted to go study that first summer. My mom's like, not yet. And, and so, but anyway, they they they, uh, they they got together, got married right after college. Uh, they had my my brother. Um, Soon after their wedding, um, uh-huh. and then I was conceived over on Park Street, probably where, where Primos is at now, somewhere around oh, nice. there. Somewhere, somewhere around where the where yeah. the putt golf used to be. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, right behind there. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and also, we were we were one of the very first families to move into Evergreen Terrace. Yeah, we we really yeah we we were in Building One, uh, Unit Two, and we were among the very first. We were on the wait list, and then when it opened, we moved in. And all I remember is playing into dirt. That's what I did my first two years was playing the dirt a lot. <laughs> Evergreen Terrace. Yeah. Oh, that's phenomenal, man. That makes me. What, do you know, like, what the growth of the of the of the physical place was like at the time for the construction of that housing? I mean, do you? Did, how long? I mean, did you guys live in there for a while? Or was it just like? A oh, we lived there for for two years, okay. and then and then my my my, my dad was an SIU professor. Uh huh. He, they kept on giving him degrees and jobs, so he had no reason to leave. And, <laughs> hey, can't, can't can't argue with that, right? And, and by then, yeah, he was a professor in, in the Department of Health, Education, and Safety. Uh-huh. He he created the Safety Center where they they teach motorcycle driving. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would I would like to talk to him about what we can do about motorcycle safety oh. in Carbondale because I, I think we we with with all like the mini bike traffic and all that stuff right now yeah. like just just to do workshops for people like listen yeah we're it's clear that we're not going to police it super hard and we probably don't need to but like we probably need to provide people some level of understanding of like what it is to operate you know small mm-hmm. class like under fifty cc uh, vehicles and like what the safety things to go along with that can be so we can avoid issues with that being prevalent as it is you know Ooh, if small towns around here can have like the the utvs on the streets and whatever i'm sure we can adapt 
to this thing. Right. Well, you know, driving a motorcycle is ten times more dangerous than a vehicle. Yeah. Folks aren't looking for motorcycles, and and the, in, the interesting thing about the safety center was that the, it's the only building in SIU history that was um, a, actually built by SIU staff, mm -hmm. and it was funded with research overhead. It wasn't funded with any student money a, at all. So that was kind of, it actually, the way they developed it economically was kind of interesting. So, it, so the 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 whole facility was not just like outright hey we're going to provide safety courses and that's that but like there's actual a research component to it oh 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 yeah always always that's there's if it's a university there's a research there's, there's component. Be a research what like what <laughs> do you do you have more context on on kind of what that looks like you know what or? not 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 particularly okay, right. yeah yeah that's that's a little bit beyond my yeah i'll, I'll have to pull him in for this story then absolutely you're you're on notice dad this yeah <laughs> Oh, try and get him to stop talking. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, no, that's exactly yeah. what I need. The the more the people that talk the most on this podcast are the best kind of guests because I don't need to do as much talking as I do on these podcasts half the time. <laughs> Agreed. No, no, no. Um, hey, I appreciate that. Hey, you gotta I, it, to to take that to take that criticism from from the fans, right? And no. if you're the fan and you're the guest and you're saying just relax, Nathan, like it's okay, I can do some talking. Like I follow you, my friend. I follow you. Um, so. What so? What was your did did you did you go straight like did you just have like one childhood home growing up after yeah. that then or did when you... I was, when I was two years old we moved out by the humane shelter okay um in between Carbondale and Murfreesboro a couple miles uh, west of Carbondale where every Friday night we were treated to the, the screaming of the dogs as as they were being a. Uh, Euthanasia. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's one weird. You it's know. a memory, though, man. It's, it's a, a huge memory of yeah. my childhood. Is every Friday night there would just be the howling of the dogs. Oh man, yeah, that's that's tough. <laughs> I'm I'm. Want to move oh. on from that subject? Well, well, I wasn't one, one ready quick, for it. <laughs> one quick note on the Humane Society. Yeah, Most people drop off their pets near the Humane Society, assuming that they're going to find their way there, mm -hmm. rather than actually taking them in. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to recommend people, yeah, don't drop your pets. Just take them. Just take, just them, take them in there. Don't drop them off nearby. Yeah. Because then it just, you know, we have a real feral cat situation and, and things like that. Yeah. So. No, that's that's <laughs> very that's very reasonable. I appreciate the public service announcement yeah. aspect to that. Yeah, well, that's i think that's important yeah <laughs> um man well so so you did you go to did you go to school at siu as well were you were you a local like stayed in town for oh college, no no i was out and yeah i was okay. I, I definitely had, had no intention of sticking around <laughs> and when people ask me well, why didn't you go to siu i was like because i was born and raised in carbondale yeah. like you, you got that part of the education <laughs> in high school well like, i grew, grew up at siu yeah I, I mean that that that's the thing i mean in in junior high i, I spent every weekend in the basement of morris library looking uh -huh. through microfiche concerning the 1930 baseball season really well yeah that was the only year the national league averaged 300 as a whole and so i was actually transcribing every single box score um i was going to write a book about it uh, as, a, as a junior high kid really yeah I was, I was fascinated by that yeah do you are you are you a big fan of uh pete peterson's reading baseball on uh wsiu then do you listen actually to I'm, I'm not familiar with that specifically yeah oh man yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to introduce you to that just like they, they, they he does it I, I don't know if it's weekly or every couple weeks mm. or if it's on season or off season, but uh, he's just a local guy who's had, you know, engagement with professional baseball in different oh, ways. Oh, I should check time. it out. He's, he's got to be like probably in his eighties or something like oh. that. The guy writes books and yada, yada, yada. But um, 
Yeah, yeah, no, just to where where were you like always interested in baseball, or was it just this particular oh, well, like, statistical nick- facet? Well, my nickname in, in junior high was the Stat Man, nice. because when, when for for any kind of intramurals, softball, basketball, or or, or football, I would actually kind of have a little quarter page, like while playing, I was keeping uh, track of stats, mm-hmm. like even during basketball games, I would you know while I, I would keep track of what everyone was scoring. Um, and, and and stuff. It was just something that always appealed to me. I, I think I think numbers is, have always been like poetry to me. Nice. Um, and I tend to think in that sort of way, and that's why. I mean, I started off as a physics major in college and stuff like that, because you, you know, yeah, numbers were always poetry, I guess. Did you carry on with math stuff, or were you like, did you touch your toes into physics and were like, uh, maybe a different direction? Well, I was I was full in. My plan, like any other kid, was to grow up to be a high energy particle physicist. Uh-huh. Um, and the typical. Yeah, and so my <laughs> at sophomore year in college, my work study job was actually helping to build experimental apparatus for Fermilab. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I took a philosophy course. <laughs> And there's this ex- existentialist named Kierkegaard uh-huh. that I seem to be able to explain, whereas our grad student couldn't. And he actually, one of my first experiences of philosophy class was him asking me to come up and teach the class. Wow. And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is how I think already. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, this is much easier. There's not eight hours of, of practice sets every night. Uh-huh. You know, I had time to learn how to play musical instruments when I became a philosophy major because suddenly <laughs> 30 hours of commitments a week disappeared. So did you did you pursue activity in higher education with philosophy activity or like would what that was part of the vision I I, I, I always saw myself getting a PhD and becoming a professor because yeah. that's that's what my dad did here um, and uh, I, I did a year of grad school at, at Loyola um, and I, I found I didn't really like the other grad students they, yeah. they, they, they seemed to be kind of not to not have any morals or ethics it, really it, yeah anywhere in the mix mm-hmm and I had an incredible professor that I got to work with, Hans Siegfried, who is who has since passed, but just um, was a really huge Nietzsche scholar. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to do a lot of really good work in relation to Nietzsche. And existentialism and phenomenology were all my foci. But, but I did a year of grad school, and then I just kind of realized, oh, well, this was the reality. There was, there was no job openings mm-hmm. that, that I was – we were all wait, waiting for someone to die somewhere, <laughs> and, and, you know, and they would, yeah. people would get excited about, about a, a letter from West Texas Women's Teachers College uh-huh. uh, about a position, and it just like, there just was such slim pickings. Yeah. And, and also I kind of realized those two disciplines I had chosen, physics and philosophy, really, to perform at the highest level, require really high IQs. Mm-hmm. You know, in the 170s and stuff, and I'm a couple standard deviations below that, <laughs> which is still pretty good, but yeah. not for those fields. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not you know, <laughs> like you're commonly smart, not like uncommonly smart. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just you know, not top one tenth of one of one percent. Yeah, not yeah. not no. <laughs> and so like that was actually something I realized that I was always kind of trying to play above my pay grade you you know but but anyway i guess that's what led me into uh um entrepreneurism (laughs) 
is that, is that is that what you kind of worked through before before coming home was just business startup well, activity and well, well that was kind of the weird thing about growing up in Carbondale as, as a professor's kid mm-hmm. I didn't know that I could own a business yeah I, I literally I literally thought that your last name had to be Bud Slick or Carianis to own a business yeah. in Carbondale yeah. I, I mean that's kind of what I grew up with and then so I went to college and and I, I got involved with music because I became a philosophy major and mm-hmm. had the time to do so <laughs> and then I learned that you could go to studio pay them some money record your own music uh-huh. that you could go to manufacturing facilities have them press your records and and, and that you could do all these things yourself mm-hmm. and, and so really my first business was was uh, a couple of record labels just coming out of college really yeah that's cool and I started you know started with bands that my band played with and then and then I kind of got out of bands for a while and just had a couple record labels that each had eight bands on it mm-hmm. um uh, Happy Tales Records and and Crank Records, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was a pretty amazing you know three or four years there. Um, Were you able to like make a living and eat off of that activity? Just just barely. Just yeah, barely. yeah hey, but but I did. Barely but, is still a yes. Exactly, <laughs> and also they they were run very cooperatively. And yeah. really, what I was I was doing was a lot of entrepreneurial training of all the bands, teaching them how to manage their own bands, mm-hmm. and also. Um, my first two years out of college, mean while I was doing that, was as a psychiatric technician at a mm-hmm. mental health care facility up in Des Plaines. Mm-hmm. So I was developing a lot of really kind of good skill sets uh, along those lines, and I kind of realized that band relationships are, are a complex of three different relationships: mm-hmm. the artistic relationship, the interpersonal relationship, and the business relationship. Mm-hmm. And they're really com- complex organisms. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised that more bands don't have therapists, but but largely, <laughs> th- that was the role that I I, I, I played a large part on with with almost all these bands well it was kind of helping them through those types of issues but also kind of teaching them how how to manage themselves Mm -hmm. and and so together we ran a couple of record labels you know five of the 16 bands ended up signing off the major labels yeah and this was in chicago in the early 90s and Mm -hmm. this this was the time when when billboard magazine referred to north damon in milwaukee as the center of, of the music universe really that that i was fortuitous to be there right at a time this was happening this was when you know smashing pumpkins had just broken mm-hmm. liz fair was you know had just broken in the previous year or mm-hmm. two uh, i had the opportunity to release veruca's salt's first song ever on cd huh uh, in, in 19 in 1992 93 mm-hmm. as, as a part of an independent label festival compilation mm-hmm. and so it's it a, it a real exciting time and just very deeply involved in the music scene um and and, and that lasted you know yeah, probably for about uh, 10 to 12 years from there. But but as, as a part of that, started putting out a record label newsletter mm-hmm. that grew into more of a major music publication called Tailspins Magazine. Mm-hmm. And then also we had an offshoot called The Zine Guide, which became the world's top independent press guide from basically 1997 to 2004. All of these things are really good runs at really influential times. I, you know what? I guess I... I, I, a lot of luck, you, you, you know, but uh, always hard work tends to, to lead to that. And if anything, I'm a productaholic. You know, <laughs> I've actually, you know, I work ever since I college, I've worked 100 hours a week. And I've, I've realized that I have the same experience as a 94-year-old person working 40 hours a week for mm-hmm. their whole life. <laughs> it's simple math. It's simple math. <laughs> so I'm a 94-year-old man when it comes to experience. <laughs> what a way to phrase it, man. But but <laughs> I, I I do you know I I always I, I kind of always have a trail of product left behind, uh-huh. 
which is very frustrating to my mom because that means I always have hundreds of boxes to move whenever that has to happen. Yeah. What is what is the most like pack ratty thing that you've ever gotten yourself stuck with in? in oh, this? oh, campaign signs. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Mayor and city council campaign signs. Those weigh a lot. <laughs> and, and, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> and I threw. I, yeah, I, I threw. Mine away. aren't small either. I get <laughs> no. it. <laughs> I, I keep the metal wires though, folks. Keep the metal wires. Those are valuable. Right. Throw away what it says on top. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, one one set that I did um, well, for for the mayor once. I did I did half of them with dates on them, half of them without. The ones that I did with the date, I just put them underneath so I could cut off the bottoms. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I digress. So yeah. the, um, uh, but yeah, no, no. That, so so campaign signs. That's a. I mean, do you still have like? Because yeah, I I love seeing things like Will Maring and Robert Bolin like pulling old Robert Bolin tapes out from like the eighties or something and being like, oh, here's here's this class. I mean, do you still have that? Stuff I have twelve around? copies of every magazine I ever published, and there was like forty five issues between the two magazines. Oh, that's and, cool. And just also with between the two record labels, we had about thirty five releases, and so I have about ten copies of all those. Man, yeah. I mean, that's just. I mean, that's your own little segment of history that yeah. you get to keep a physical hold on. Well, and it, what, what's really beautiful uh, about the, the Chicago music history is is I took all these bands and introduced them. They didn't know each other. Yeah. And and these people are best friends to this day. Yeah. And, and, and that's one thing I realized that I've kind of, I kind of had done at a lot of sections in my life is kind of building communities from scratch. Yeah. You know, much like when I when I moved out to to Denver in, in two thousand five to two thousand eight. Oh, that was before the the Denver boom. Of, or was that like right as the Denver boom was beginning, or what? What was it? You know. Well, all I know it was the worst year in the mortgage industry in yes. forty years because I was in the mortgage industry that year. Ooh, <laughs> no. Okay. So it was it was it was it was right before um, yeah yeah the 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 Great Recession basically. Uh -huh. And and I with another gentleman I, I owned a cigar bar mm -hmm. and, and we we st I started producing a Thursday night open mic comedy show, uh -huh. um, and within three or four weeks it, it became one of the top comedy shows on the front range. You have piqued my interest yet again, <laughs> Like we've had all of this interaction and none of this I have known thus far, and I am thrilled that this is the like. The thing that I love about these podcasts is the exploratory nature of the content because I come in like purposely not knowing things that I ought know about people because if I like learn it in time and have this like exacerbated, excited like response to it, I hope other people have that. And you are feeding me things that are so like intrinsically like part of my vision that I'm like, oh, hell yeah, Brent. <laughs> hell yeah, man. So yeah, thank well, you well, for like springing this all on well yeah comedy's always been deeply important to me and i yeah. think people always underestimated and don't think about it as enough as an option of something that they would love to do yeah i, I think that's the biggest you know other than that i mean yeah comedy i mean especially um i, I didn't do stand-up myself but i emceed and also yeah. i i coached them I, I was i was able to, to take some some of these folks that were absolutely atrocious <laughs> and, and, and to see a Facebook posting of, of you know Rick Bryan mm -hmm. who 
I encouraged to get up there for the first time performing in Las Vegas yeah. this last week. You, you, you know, it's that kind of stuff where, yeah. and, and I, I think always, I, I've tried to s- help serve as that trim tab to give people, you know, the faith or the confidence or yeah. the belief that, that they can follow their bliss. Yeah. You, you know, not, it, it doesn't work for everyone, of course not, but at least if more people are pursuing those avenues. Yeah. Well, and you when know. you, when somebody has guidance on something that they pursue in, in that vein, that it is easier for them to decide if it is or is not for them. Right. When, when you provide somebody, you know, at their own solicitation, of course, right. You're not just there saying, ah, this is what I think about your art. This is what you should do. But somebody's like receptive and saying, Hey, I would really appreciate your, you know, uh, feelings on this, that, the other, because they, they, they are seeking critique. And then to, to provide them that, some people will flourish with it and some people will, instead of lingering on it for years or decades or what have you going, is this right or is this not? They can just go, oh, I got enough guidance to feel like maybe this isn't for me and I'm going to move on to some to the next you know, project or task or whatever that I want to go on to. Well, one of the nice features of the show is we had metrics. People uh-huh. voted on their favorite comic and mm-hmm. somebody would win the night. Really? And, and so, yes, yeah, some, co- you know, they would rate each comic, you know, from five to zero to five uh-huh. or whatever. And so that would give them real tangible feedback. And so I would try to put that into more context, yeah. but it really gave people important feedback. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, and, and uh, gosh, comedy is one of the most difficult art forms uh, th- that there is. Listen, man, I've been a I've been a <laughs> unfunny stand-up comedian for a solid twelve years now, and I understand. That's why I like to <laughs> occupy the MC and coach position. Yeah, and, like I <laughs> empathize. Like, <laughs> See, I mean, I've never been as brave as you to actually kind of step out there. Oh, dude, it's it's <laughs> Just, it's been it's been rough, man. And like I, you know, I made a Facebook post about this a uh, uh, you know a couple months ago, where it's like I've been doing this for over a decade, and I just now feel like I'm good like i'm not great like you know I, i'm just adequate for mm-hmm. where where i'm at it's like i'm okay with that right like because also sometimes the art meets you where you are or you meet the art where oh, yeah. it is and like guess what 21 yeah. year old nathan wasn't meant to be no. that kind of comedian but when i hit 33 35 i may be meant to be that particular kind of comedian and i'm perfectly happy in that reserve and eventually i will find the perfect spot for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the young dad comedian where it's like, yeah, I'm in my thirties and I've got, you know, driving teenagers. And here's some jokes about being just close enough to your kids to feel like you want to be cool, but you're definitely still not. It's mm-hmm. like, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's a sweet spot for me. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to find that in time. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. It, yeah. Ah, God, I love this dude. I can't, we, I'm, I'm going to, I'm now going to like Bogart more of your time to do some work review and talk about a bunch of different projects and be like, Oh, oh Hey Brent, you're, you're about to get drug into my little ecosystem here, man. Well, I kind of, I kind of th- think back my history back in Carbondale and there's, there is kind of a lot of things that I kind of helped launch. Yeah. You know, like, like for example, the all species puppet parade too. Ooh. Yeah. The, tell me about that. The, the, that was actually a, a born in a, in a puppet pr- group performance that uh, I helped put together with Cade Burcell and Johnny uh-huh. Gray uh-huh. And, and other just ridiculously talented folks like that for a frack f- free fest. Yeah. And, and then now we did a group performance related to fracking. And that's kind of, that was the very first time that we all did those puppets and pulled together. And then that kind of, that kind of evolved into the all species puppet parade, which is a, an, an incredibly awesome, important 
annual event, much like like the pumpkin race, yeah. which unfortunately I have nothing to do with, but I love you, you <laughs> know pumpkin race. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's stuff like that 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 really you know that makes that builds Carbonell's character. Yeah, and, and, and we do tend to kind of we kind of lack annual events. Yeah, you know we had the Irish Fest and, and that, that's still going on, but you know sometimes it's located you know. Far away from Carbondale, and you know, it's just it's been a you know a little, little bit inconsistent in that way. But we need more of those annual events. I'll, I'll tell you a secret: when okay. the podcast is over about what we may be looking at this year. Okay, uh, great, great. <laughs> the um, yeah, man, no, I mean that you're you're absolutely right. And like these one-off things, the the tough part is, of course, right? There's there's two there's two difficult components to a project like this, especially when they're kind of like one-off annual biannual you know semi-regular events is one getting them started but two sustaining them long term yeah right and like that's something where the all species puppet parade has found what well, has it has a visionary guiding yeah. it yeah, yeah. You, you know kate has always has been uh, you know uh, consistent but also they've they've gotten so many great people yeah to, to, to join in and it's you know it's also about childhood education and, and, and engaging children in, in, in this self-expression too. All the stuff that's incredibly important. Yeah. You know. Yep. No. It, it is. It is ever so Carbondale. I, I've got. I've got to get the kids. The the kids. My my the 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 boy Zach. He is. He is super into like puppeting and mm. like. You know, imagine, you know, it's one thing like having to live in the same town as me. Imagine having to live in the same household <laughs> as me and what that does to your psyche as a child. Um, <laughs> but like he, you know, they, they, they work on these characters and they, and they, they don't just parrot what the media that they consume, but they're actively building off of, uh, you know, the, the identities that they like try and pull out of the media that they consume. And so create their own characters. And now they like need these next stages in the outlets, you know, just going on 11 wanting to now go from the own character in their head that then they express out themselves to i need a character on my hand to move the to move out as a puppet and so yeah zach, zach i gotta get him plugged in with the with the with sacred puppetistas i i saw Absolutely. johnny was going up to cedarhurst today to do something oh really yeah oh yeah. He's, I'm, just, he's I'm glad i'm glad that's spreading out and i i appreciate that it skips a little bit further out than just our immediate Jackson Williamson County area and finds its way into Mount Vernon. I think that's good. I think that's a good reach for Carbon Day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> did, did you study with under Johnny Gray? I did. I did. I took several classes under oh. Johnny, at, at least yeah. two that I recall offhand. Uh, one was like an intro to comm thing where it was mm. more of a lecture hall deal. Uh, one of the others was a, his, his like 400 level uh, comics and um, icons oh. class. Oh. It was, you know, and like, this is me as an undergrad who's got eight other things going on in life and could care less to be in school, but it's like still showing up and, and like enjoying it and like contributing it at like a B minus level. And what I get to take away with working with all of these phenomenal um, folks that one class, a student uh, is my peer. And then the other class, that student is my instructor. Right. And it's like, that's, that's <laughs> a special kind of interaction that occurs in that comm building. Yeah, yeah, I I love that department school. I you know whatever classification it is. Yeah, they just always had a lot of really great faculty members, and yeah, I can listen to Johnny talk forever. <laughs> just he's, he's just full, you know, and maybe it's you know it's environmental rhetoric, and that's that's kind of where I've my life is is taken itself to. So it's especially meaningful. Well, I mean, yeah. just there, it's it's one of those schools but also the, one of those schools underpinned by individuals like Johnny that find the intersection of performance and pedagogy 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, but I mean, that's very much it. Mm-hmm. Right. And even, and even somebody um, like uh, Brian Kelso Crow, right. Who, who, you know, you don't, you don't sit in a classroom and think, Oh, uh, Brian is a, or, or Dr. Crow is, is a performer, uh, in, uh, in, in nature. And then like you, you see these things on the outside. Like I was a, I was a fan of him through Celtic connections before I was a, a oh, yeah. student in his classroom. And it was like seeing these, these other kids, like just kind of like, you know, brush it off. And I'm sitting here going, this man's a superstar. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have you no idea understand what you're getting here right now. <laughs> like this is something that you should value so much more than you do. People. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Anywho, <laughs> let's talk about coming back to Carbondale. Oh yeah. After. So, so was the crash part of what brought you home? No, actually it was kind of, I'd spent three years in Denver Boulder and, and kind of some personal things arose that led to me having to leave. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, enough. and, um, like I said, I, 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 oh, I was talking to you earlier. I guess that's not on camera. Um, I came back for a visit to Carbondale, um, over Thanksgiving of 2008 uh-huh. and it stretched into a couple weeks. Cause I was, I was considering moving back to Carbondale yeah. at that time from Denver Boulder. Um, and um, the alternative gift fair was happening early December, as always. This mm-hmm. year it was uh, at the Civic Center. And, and uh, the, the Bucky Dome home had a stand there. And they had some really nice, huge models, I remember especially. And, and I think I spent, of course, two or three hours talking to Bill Burke mm-hmm. uh, that whole time. And, and, and just there was a, a couple things kind of came up. The, the, the Fuller Dome uh, board was looking for more members. And, and he basically invited me to come and join when, when I told him my story about mm-hmm. uh, having built a scale model of the Dome Home as, yeah. a, as a sophomore in high school. Um, and then also he was a part of an energy company uh, called Equitech International that was a consortium of, of 23 other companies and individuals mm-hmm. that was developing um, a technology uh, uh, that could take any kind of organic matter and extract energy from it mm-hmm. um, with the only byproducts uh, being uh, like uh, hydrogen-rich synthesis gas and water and heat. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, you, you know, nothing toxic yeah. w- without any, uh, any negative emissions. Um, and it was something, uh, technology that had existed for about a decade or two. And so I was introduced to, to that company. Uh, they showed me they had some Senate testimony that they were presenting in front of Senate. And, and not a single sentence was, was legible or <laughs> like, I mean, digestible by your common American. No, <laughs> written by a bunch of architects and engineers that apparently, you know, don't, you didn't have those kinds of skills. Yeah. And I, you know, I was a, a publisher and editor of my own magazines yeah. for about 15 years. And so I, I kind of picked up some of those skill sets. And so I basically, I kind of became their science writer um, and, and, and immediately started, uh, you know, basically writing uh, executive stu- uh, executive studies and business plans mm-hmm. um, uh, f- for a number of different projects that were very completely comprehensive, completely grounded in Buckminster Fuller. Mm-hmm. Um, w- when the Haiti earthquakes happened, uh, one of our members was actually a member of Congress at that time, mm-hmm. Walter Fauntleroy from uh, from uh, British uh, Washington D.C. Um, but, but anyway, we really snapped into action. We, we got to meet with the, the, the current prime minister and a former prime minister, and, and I helped to create a comprehensive plan. But, but uh, there just was, you know, you, had to have, you have to have people on the ground there. And anyway, that whole thing was a, 
was a clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're allowed to cuss. You know the deal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, as we know, you know, all the goods sat in, you know, at the airports for for months and months as it was. Oh man, that, that it just, you know, and is is unfortunate. But we, you know. It was, it was a really incredible company. Four of the members were were veterans of the NASA Jet, Jet Propulsion Lab, oh. so so we had really serious, you know, brain power. Ex exactly. But o over the last decade, half the team has passed away, mm -hmm. and, and then finally, this last January, it kind of folded. You know, j just because of the challenges of trying to introduce new energy technologies to market. Yeah. And that's why about, you know, six years ago, I, I, I turned more towards solar and realized mm -hmm. if I wanted to be in a renewable energy industry, I actually had to work with a, re a renewable that was on market. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah I mean, and I, I think on market is kind of the key functionality of that, right? It's just like, mm -hmm. you know, it sure, there may be more innovative technology stuff out there, but the, the reality of, of implementation in no. the modern, like global, you know, social, what's the word? The modern global society, right? Is that something just simply has to be marketable. And what marketable means is it has to, it has to be transactable yeah. from, you know, business to business and from business to the general public and from, you know, consumer to consumer as needed once ownership, uh, you know, is, is kind of driven. I mean, that's just, that is just how the world has begun structured right yep. and whether it's in a, a sense of capitalism socialism or some other form uh, of transaction that's just the reality of it that the transaction has to exist mm -hmm. for any sort of you know implementation of larger and broader technologies to come into play yep you know capitalism has its own process 120 years ago in the united states there was 1000 internal combustion cars 1000 steam engine cars and 1000 electric cars 120 wow. years ago, one of them won out. Yeah. And one of them we're finally getting back to. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, they should have been the ones that won out to begin with, right? But, you know, that's, that's the other flaw of the transactive system is that, they're, you know, if you don't have, like you get back to the grad school thing, ethical players, then well, you yeah. don't always have what should be the ideal outcome for the society at large. And hence Tesla's... Nikola Tesla's technology has been hidden from us. Yeah. He was 100 years ahead of where we are now it's 100 wild. years ago. Isn't yeah. it just like disgusting yeah. Yeah. of where we could and should be Absolutely. As, as humanity? And yet because of a handful of just uh, in special 19, interests. In 1920, he demonstrated a car that ran on a battery this size. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine a 19... <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a 1900s that ran like the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Now, I say that to to understand all of the other flaws of, you know, the 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 1900s uh, and, and how that could have been more problematic. So maybe we are not so awful being on the other side of AI and other things as we become a more equitable society globally, you know, in, in many instances. Yeah, not at all, yeah. Obviously, but... Well, the, the overall global poverty rate has, has dissipated a lot in yeah. the last decade. So yeah. that, that's, you know. And this goes back yeah. to the tough part of, like, recognizing how much further we have to go, but also acknowledging that progressivism is progress. And if you can make it happen, you have to at least acknowledge it along the way. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Know, like we were talking before, very Bill Mari. I don't want to get yeah, well. Into that that was one positive message from last night. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That we have to actually celebrate wins and not and not see everything as a loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. It, it, it's just uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the Neil deGrasse Tyson argument and, and have, trying to like pin him down on UFOs. I was just like, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> I was really disappointed in his response. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Really? Oh, yeah. He's, he's grasping for straws. I to, mean, to, uh, like to not validate UFOs. Well, no, at least in, in, on his excuses that it could be a, a, a equipment malfunction. Yeah, you, you, you know, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I'm not going to argue with you, man. I'm also not going to get into aliens conspiracy talk quite yet. I don't know if the podcast is ready well, for that. I feel like I, after episode 300, I, I don't know if you're conspiracy conversation. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Stephen Greer, but he's the person responsible for the whole disclosure project. Uh, no, but tell me more. But I, I did spend three days with him in, in Colorado about really? a decade ago. Oh, back when they were uh, back when they. So what, okay, what is up with the Denver airport, man? Like, oh, that's a, it's that? about sixty stories deep. Okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. How? How? Because they paid construction workers to build that, and that's why people know about it. Because those people who built those sixty levels deep uh, below the Denver airport, you know, are normal people what that is have there? jobs. Like, is it just are they offices? Is it used for anything? I, I, I think it's. It, Did it's, you like explore that wall in Denver at all? Or? Well, well, well. I was I was actually deeply involved in, in the paranormal. All right, let's just go. Out We're there. here. We're going. I've opened this can of worms. Yeah, here we are. Well, it's almost you can't avoid that when you live out there. You, you're fair. an entrepreneur, and also you you understand that the things are more magical than most people think. <laughs> when you're that high off the ground all of the time, it could have to do with lack of oxygen, but also you're you're closer to these entities and stuff. But 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 I I, I think it, it was just a, a base where you know they could probably send a hundred thousand people you, you, you know should there be massive nuclear holocaust uh-huh. or you know any other fun stuff type x solar flare that <laughs> that destroys our atmosphere and or, or you know who knows just there's so many there's so many opportunities ahead Man, of us now now i want to go like scouring the internet for like videos of the underground of the denver airport but that was yeah that was kind of that was an interesting yeah that was a topic of, of discussion and, and, and just I I knew people who knew people uh, you know I also one of my friends was Nikola Tesla the third uh, he was who was a mechanic it was his his grandson because <laughs> um, you know Tesla moved out to Colorado Springs and that's really? yeah and that's the, the first time he really kind of sh- showed how you could how he could project energy at a distance and uh-huh. and light up all these things and. And, and so yeah, I get to hang out and, with him a his, lot. And his grandson just happened to be a mechanic. And yeah, well, he was no Nikola Tesla the first. You that's know. fair. That's <laughs> but, fair. <laughs> but he was a good guy. <laughs> but it's I mean it's just cool to have like you you're literally you you count you then count four degrees of separation from Nikola Tesla exist in Brent Ritzel's life. Oh, without without a doubt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just wild, man. But it's but wild it's to all- live these kind of lives. But it's always been present, and actually, that's one of the reasons I did leave physics was just that the physics they're teaching in universities was not kind of not not it wasn't the deeper underlying Nikola Tesla physics. Mm-hmm. You know that it actually <laughs> Maxwell's equations that govern electromagnetism. Uh-huh was ed- edited down from 16 to 4 in, in the second edition of, of a book that w- by the two publishers. And, and they, 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 removed, uh, they removed the fourth dimension in doing that. 
Um, and, and so Maxwell's equations that govern electromagnetism are, of course, incomplete because the fourth dimension was edited out about mm -hmm. 160 years ago. And, and that's part of the problem mm -hmm. that, that we're, we're having now with in any way being able to integrate what Tesla was talking about because the mistake goes back that far. Um, that we built our entire, like infrastructure of existence yes. around flawed science. Absolutely. Much like flawed buildings. Much mm -hmm. like we, we build in three dimensions, but as Bucky also understood, we live in a four-dimensional reality. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's where all this is connected. Um, and, and where Bucky is, what, what freaks me out about Buckminster Fuller is he challenged the way that we build everything in our society and, and, and gave it an incredible intellectual scientific uh, structure and it's neither been agreed with or disagreed with. It's just been, it's been it's just sat there. It's just like, oh, we don't even know what to do with that. Yeah. And that is weird. It is very weird, especially because th there's been no really good cases against it that we keep on you know, getting more and more information, especially as, as we understand how biological systems work. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, the buckyball is a virus. You know, that the, yeah. the, this carbon-60 atom, it's the same way that, you know, we all know that COVID looks like. I mean, that's how all viruses look like. It's the same structure of everything, even the structure of universes. And, and, and it's not three dimensions. You know, there, there's a, you know when, you, when you talk to real physicists, of course, they'll tell you there's 27 dimensions. But just a, a lot of them are, are, are so small and so tightly wound into themselves, we'll never be able to access them. But, but they exist. But, but they do exist. And, and, and some of these do have macroscopic impacts. You know, we do, we do encounter places on Earth where there's, where there's physical anomalies. You know, where we do, we do note certain anti-gravitational effects here and there. Um, you know, there's certain spots. You know, some people will point to Sedonia, um, Arizona, mm -hmm. place like that. But, you know, there's, just, there's, there's a lot of, this was a lot more magical than, than I think our, our, our common narrative ever allows for. There are people that live in Faraday cages because yes. they have to in this world that we've now created. Yes. And where... It, it, and Faraday's cage blocks out all known electromagnetic signals. Yeah. But people have been able to demonstrate uh, impacts even within Faraday cages due, due to uh, these underlying, I, you call them virtual photons, mm -hmm. but, but the, the underlying reality where it looks, like, it looks like these subatomic particles are popping in and out of existence. No, no, they're just traveling from higher dimensionality and passing through our, our, the three dimensions that we're measuring. Um, Anyway, that's no, dude. This is <laughs> thrilling. This is fucking amazing. Like, uh, I love this. I love this so much. Like, this is, uh, this is, this is so where um, Carbonell is. <laughs> I could, yeah, I, I couldn't have. Yeah, I mean, it legitimately. Like, like you, you question like why, why here in this place does this conversation and this feeling and this like all of these components just exist. Here, why are why are we an intersection of eclipses? Why are we you know it's like yeah, yeah. it's not it's not listen man, it's not like anybody's trying to sit here and conspiracy theory out on stuff. We're just trying to acknowledge there are a lot of unique things occurring in tandem and they have a particular energy about them. And it's more than just a couple crackpots hanging around town that feel that energy. It's an entire collection of people. And they don't require a causal connection to be meaningful. 
Yeah. And that's why I've always been a big fan of Carl Jung and, and his notion of synchronicity, mm-hmm. of meaningful coincidences, that we are, you know, we're, we're eliminating the fourth dimension once again. We're, yeah. we're, we're limiting things to only this physical reality, yeah. which is a brutalization of the actual world we're surrounded by. Yeah. That, that's that's the, the, the challenge of language. We're, we're unfortunately bound by it, but we, we absolutely need it in order to, to control and manage the world. But yet it, it also, it, it destroys the world. It splits it up, you know, makes it into categories that we project onto it. I didn't, you know, I, I would say that the, the, the old school architects that, that are in and around Carbondale have such a unique perspective on like universal design because they have come of age and earned and learned themselves in this space. Right. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's a very like, I've just barely scratched the surface of that in talking to both John and Thad. Yeah. Right. And it just blows my mind because like the way that they think about the interwovenness of design is the way that I think about the interwovenness of social like connections, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't have the mathematical capacity to think about design in a particular way just because it takes, you know, understanding the the mathematics of geometry to put all that design and function together. But when, when I like listen to them go, I'm like, this isn't how architects think the world over. There are plenty of architects and pockets around the world that yeah. think this way, but yeah. like it's a very specific, unique thing occurring here. Absolutely. Well, so many people were drawn to Carbondale because Bucky was here, and we can't underestimate this, how there's a deep background of, of comprehensivists, and you, you find people that have skill sets in, in a lot of different realms, yeah. and that that's, you know, not that we're completely unique in that, but 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 we kind of are, just because this yeah. area has really kind of attracted those yeah. people, and musicians especially seem to be attracted to Bucky, yeah. and, and artists more so than, than engineers and architects, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of a little bit behind the curve when it comes to understanding and embracing Bucky. Yeah. It, t- it took a Harvard business professor, um, um, oh, Ed- Edmondson, to, uh-huh. to, to write a book to explain, well, you know, Bucky's mathematics. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. yeah. It, it, there's, and there's not enough of that. And that's actually, you know, kind of what I... I one one of the, my 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 missions ho- hopefully is to continue to teach and share Bucky in, in, in digestible ways. Uh, I was I was a member of the board f- for three years from mm-hmm. 2009 to 2011. Uh, I was president of the board during that time, and then I I went on to produce the Fuller Future Festival for mm-hmm. about seven years yep. with with folks like Elizabeth Donahue and Beth Martell and, and, and other awesome folks like that. Um, I may still have a couple pieces floating around this building somewhere to give back to you. Oh, from, from, from the art show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I, I, just, I just assumed that those things would have been mixed into Fuller Fest as well as part of your collection of things. Well, yeah. And, and then part of what I, what I, I hope to in, in plan on launching eventually is the museum of living Re, Cause I've been, I've been collecting a, a Bucky stuff now for, for 15 years and, and have just a, kind of a ridiculous collection. Mm-hmm. It also include a, a local artists doing portraits of, of Bucky. Uh, I've been kind of collecting those too and looking forward to having some more of those types of events. It's good. And, and stuff. Good. But we just, you know, we need more Bucky education. And What did it, you bring with you? Well, uh, what I brought was a critical path. This oh, is so per- so perfectly positioned in front of the camera. You got it, my Nice. Friend. This is this is Bucky's seminal work and basically any copy that showed up on eBay in the last 15 years that's uh-huh. been under $12 I've purchased. 
<laughs> so I have about 300 of these, and, wow. and I want to start distributing them. <gasps> That's for free. awesome. Okay, lean it back just a little bit. Per, yep, there you go. There you go. It just it has a little bit of yep. sheen from the, from the light. So you've got 300 copies. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and I want to start distributing them both to individuals that, that, that want, want to read Bucky's seminal work, yeah. and especially kind of classrooms. If there's teachers out there that has a full class – that would be ideal yeah. to get it distributed to them. And I, I figured this is probably the best opportunity for me. You know, this is the yeah. Bucky stuff I'm doing now. Yeah. Is I, I just I just want to get more of his words out there. I'm trying to get all of the books of Bucky in the world here locally to, re- to distribute to our local community. I am I am finally flipping the switch on <laughs> the WTF Carbondale news site. I have hired a or I'm getting ready to execute a contract with a designer. I'm making the moves on it. I would like this to be one of the first articles. Oh my gosh, fantastic! Yeah, and, and this is—I I mean, this, just just telling this story yeah. and just having a little piece to go along with it. I think this is exactly the type of like launch content that that evolution in the platform needs. Wow! No, that that's incredible because I really, I, I you know, I, I think it's the right time. Yeah. Just because things are really together with the dome now, yeah. things are really going strong with SIU with Elizabeth's efforts there. Yeah. And there really is, you know, a real solid nexus forming. I, 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 you know, I wrote, I wrote some other grants for the Fuller Dome, and just kind of pointing out the fact, you know, that that type of place could expect to have upwards of twenty five thousand visitors a year yeah. if it has the proper type of reception yep. center, which would add an extra four million dollars a year to the local economy. Oh, that's crazy. And, and, and those are the type of opportunities yeah. that that we all need to get on the same team about. Yep. You and know. they and they they are they are positioned throughout <laughs> town, right? Yes, obviously the, the the dome home is one of the more uh, you know notable instances of that. But these pockets of attractions throughout town exist and could be tied together or standalone separately, or kind of do a mix of standalone and tie together to achieve. You know, really what this what this draw that folks want to have. I mean, even even now, right, that that Gary and Mike are going out and talking like they're, you know, one of their interviews on on WSIU maybe a month and a half ago was like, you know, now that things are going to open back up, we want to really kick into high gear on tourism things and drawing people here. And it's like there's a difference between a mural district drawing people and like an actual experiential history that exists to draw people. Like yeah. every small town in America has a historic downtown that you should come see. <laughs> but then there's also just a historic town full of modern like stories that you can still exist with the, you know, living individuals that underpin the actuality of those stories. And you should come experience in Carbondale. If you're interested in anything from media to technology, to design, to, uh, you know, um, um, uh, social justice to whatever it may be, right. These are, these are all things that are, that are very, um, they are very forward in in modern society now as part of the as part of the conversation uh, of of existence, and it just happens to be that Carbondale pulls all of these things together in a very small place that's very accessible to any number of people. It's the most diverse town of its size in the United States. And when we say diverse, <laughs> we don't just mean diverse in the sense of there are there are a hundred countries other live other here, than just white people here. No, a hundred countries yeah. live here. 
you know, and that's that's the magic of growing up here. I had a I had a different friend from a different nation each year because yeah. they kept moving until I finally connected with the with the Fangs at China House, uh-huh. and that became my second family for like junior high and high school. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> those are so many of my memories revolve around you know serving egg rolls out of uh, out of there on Halloween. <laughs> we do a thousand over the weekend. And, oh my God! So d- yeah. so tell me so here's here's the deal. Let's let. Tie me up, tie me up on on the Bucky Dome work that you put in because that's one of oh, the yeah. things that Thad pushed me on. He was like, Brent did so much to like kickstart this project again and get it going the right way. Like you got to have him on, so that's one component. And then let's close out on serving egg rolls on Halloween. Okay, <laughs> I think that's a that's a beautiful way to tie it all together. Well, well, and, and actually, uh, Elizabeth Donahue caught it really well that uh-huh. that she she's like. I want that plastic off the dome. And I yeah. literally remember her coming and, and, and saying, what do I have to do to get that plastic off that dome? Uh-huh. And, and then she, she, she got, got, kind of got involved, but r- realizing that, that she had all these other skill sets when it came uh, to development and, and, and stuff that we, we brought her on board as a development director. And, and so that, that, was, that was a big, big piece of, of the puzzle was, was really the nonprofit making that commitment that, that we're going to take this seriously enough that we're going to hire somebody to, to make this happen. And, and um, yeah, in 2011, there was so much going on. We had the, the Fuller Dome Transformation Initiative. Mm-hmm. And and it was a huge event where we brought in a half a dozen of the top Bucky's uh, students and friends. His, his daughter, Allegra, that was the, mm-hmm. the first of two times I helped bring her back into Carbondale. Um, also, you know, Thomas Zung, Medard Gable. Uh, that's who Bucky went and spent the last decade of his life with out in Philadelphia mm-hmm. was Medard Gable. We had them all here. We had a five-day event. You know, we had someone that wrote an original Bucky play that, 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 that was performed at the mm-hmm. event. And we just, we just had, you know, it really put the, the need to transform the dome on the map. But there was always this challenge because a lot of people over the previous decade had given money. Yeah. <laughs> and so a big part of what we did was, you know, we, we took down this highly dangerous redwood fencing, only dangerous because there was a lot of nails sticking out mm-hmm. of it. And, and well, we just, just natural defenses. No. Well, yeah, <laughs> it, well, when I did join the board, the place did look like a construction site, uh-huh. and that was inappropriate. And so we really spent a lot of the next two or three years cleaning it up. But then also we reached out and, and found the Save America's Treasures grant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we actually were able to... The first time we, we wrote it and entered it, we won it, and it was $125,000. Mm-hmm. And as Elizabeth so rightly noted, some of the board members were like, <laughs> Oh, we gosh, matching time. We have to match that? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, there's, there's so much volunteer labor going in mm-hmm. that, that it was a no-brainer, especially yeah. Thad, yeah. who's donated 12 years of architectural services. <laughs> that, God bless that you, That matches yeah. pretty well for yeah. that amount of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, that really, there was always a, a kind of a lot of work being done that we could capitalize on and, yeah. and, and hold his matches, and, and it really did work out. We got, we got the external, you know, we got it put into dry. We got that done. And, and so that kind of created the peace of mind where, you know, I could step away and, and then they could focus on, on the innards. Yeah. You know, which is not as not as sexy to raise money for. <laughs> yeah, Dude, but by the stretch, and I, you know, it's just a lot more difficult. Yeah, pe- people like to give money to the flash, boom, bah. Yeah, right? yeah. Right, they like the, the ooh and the ah and the name played out front and all this other, but, you know, there's so much more functional stuff that needs 
the money up front, you know, and it's and it's just tough to to get people to yep. to sign on for the boring stuff. Yeah, and it's it is hard. You know, most people on Carbondale boards aren't necessarily geared towards fundraising, yeah. and, and just but literally that's kind of why most boards exist. And, and I encourage everyone out there yeah. that if you're joining a board, you know. Just help them raise money because that's yeah. really that's and, and it doesn't matter if it's a lot of money or a little bit of money. No. It's just like, you know, it's you know, it's the three it's the three T's, right? Time, talent, treasure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And contribute of those what you have. Yep. Like, you yep. know, I don't I don't I don't fundraise a lot in this space, but like I've got talents and I've got time to put into it. I figure for being broken thirties, like <laughs> you know, that's reasonable. Yeah. Like maybe I'll have money or know people with money in 10 or 15 years to shake the money tree. But until then, youthful <laughs> energy dumped <laughs> in, in buckets into a project and see if it works. Um, it helps a lot. It, I mean, it, it just, it's what it takes. Maybe. Yeah, it, it, uh, it does. Um, Being the, a cheerleader is, is sometimes all that people need you to be. Say that one more time. I, uh, being a cheerleader is sometimes yeah. all that people need you to yeah. be. And, and I find I have a, much like you, I, you remind me a lot of myself in terms of really having that skill set down. But you know, for, for not a lot of people can <laughs> can generate optimism yeah. in, in any situation. Oh, dude! And it's like the the <laughs> other side of it is the optimism without the toxic positivity. Like I'm so I'm so over, dude. If I if I had a nickel for every time somebody was like, "Well, that WTF Carbondale," and it's negative, and it's like because you don't pay attention to the context of the entire project and the amount of influence that it's meant to have over the public conversation as a whole. And from there, what we can derive of value oh. as a community from our interaction together online. It is onlining people moving into Carbondale immediately into our culture and immediately yes. into friendships. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. People are not really looking at it. if They're not getting it. Also just where do I get my nails done? Yeah, I, I I mean that's probably the number one question and one of the most yep. important questions and it gets answered a dozen times over each yep. time and it's wonderful. Yeah, nothing existed like that. And, and and even like and it's it was never right. It was never intentional. Like it was just you know fa the the issue was Facebook was moving away from you know page value which had, had been in decline since 2013. Like yeah. I remember yeah. I remember like the the late October November timeline in 2013 when the switch flipped and your and your organic reach on a Facebook page was cut down to a tenth of what it would have been if you could just reach the people that follow your page. Um, that was when Facebook really started pushing to their monetization of the platform. And it's taken from then to really about a year ago, a uh, year and a half or so, for them to start pushing the focus off onto groups and the interaction between individuals in a single space, almost as a forum or a or a board, as opposed to like a broadcast scenario where you know a business fires up a Facebook page or an organization fires up a Facebook page and they push push push. Mm -hmm. I mean, even now you see any advertising that Facebook does, it's pointed towards their groups and joining and engaging in community because that's how they keep people locked in. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. and and from there. Yeah. You know, for, for me, it's understanding that, uh, you know, I've always been active in digital spaces since I was a kid. Now, for me, a kid, you know, is is uh, the the early 2000s, uh, you know, late 90s, what have you, being being tens and teens and, and and really like being that first entirely formed by digital communication generation. Um, 
in in I don't even know where the hell I'm going with all this, Brent. I don't mean to the, but it, it's it, it is just to say that that the group is meant to represent the the physical happenings of what's going on on the ground, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, yeah, sure. People come in and ask like business questions, but they also come in and the like the lost animals thing and the apartments and housing stuff yeah. and the general business talk yeah. and the community discussion just yeah. in general and yep. the events and activities or something funny like posting a picture of a beaver and being like, whose dog is this? Like it's just stuff that I that I because it's all Carbondale or Sandy Latiki making sure we know about everything awesome going on. And Everything. I have people yeah. ask me how much I like jokingly, but ask me how much I pay Sandy Latecki to post in that no, group. She's and I'm just, just like, this is just Sandy has taken this on as her own personal project, and it makes wonderful. the group so much more valuable. It really does. Yeah. I, I, she's in my mom's sorority. They're in a sorority together, oh, and perfect. I, I just kind of pointed out how important she is. Yeah. with with her local social media postings. Yeah. I, I mean, seriously, it's and, yeah, and thank like, you, Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Like, <laughs> and, and I've, like I've asked her to be on the podcast. She hasn't responded to that email yet. But like, we'll get around to it. We'll get yeah. her warmed up to it. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and, and she just like, you know, when, when I, when I bumped into her a couple, a couple weeks ago as, as well, same time I was talking to Judy about needing to organize the Buckminster Fuller stuff here. Um, you know, her like, it is it is all with the purest of intent. She's not like coming out there to wallpaper over something because she thinks that <coughs> the platform is bad and the interactions are bad mm. or whatever. Like she's legitimately contributing, yep. like providing full value with like an earnest heart about it. Yeah. And it's just so like, yeah. and Ange, uh, Ange Kavinskis, I don't, I, without seeing her name, I can't pronounce it off, off the top of my head, but she's, a, she's friends of the library board and other stuff. Um, and, and just, you know, just maybe three or four weeks ago, I told her, you know, Hey, please post more stuff in, in the group related to friends of the Carbondale library and a couple other things, you know, that's content I, I, I really welcome and, you know, is valuable here. And like, she's now like started to kind of follow along Sandy's nice. same path. And it's yeah. like, cool. Yeah. Now, if I can develop a couple more of those folks, yeah, there will never be a want for what questioning, what is going on in Carbondale. They will always have presented it up front and in person. And what I tried to explain to Scott Thorne on episode 55 of the podcast was like, I see this as all self-reporting, right? This to me is what modern news is that is the people well, existing in place telling you what's going on from their immediate perspective with a very like limited filter on that activity it's what jello biafra told us all to do become the media yeah yeah and and, and now it's, it's it's so easy yes and, and it's and it's now each of our responsibilities yes don't become the media i mean you are the media yep. own it yep. this is more of the reality now well in these <laughs> and, and folks need folks need guidance on how to do it ethically mm -hmm. right like not because not yeah. everybody's yeah. you know not like this just happens to be my skill right like i don't have uh, you know, the, the architectural and design skill. I don't understand healthcare. I don't, this, that, the other, right? I understand this modern concept of we are our own media. And if I can provide guidance along that line, then that's my purpose, right? Because people need to get up to speed on that. And if they don't, then they get duped by things like the ripoff kid from West Frankfurt, Franklin County news or whatever, that steals and repurposes news content from other news organizations locally. And then just, just like really poor reporting on other activity. But because he's built this audience of like 
you know, digitally illiterate followers in many instances, like he's been able to like infiltrate like legitimate people with his content to make him think that he's a legitimate news source when he's not. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just people need this, this type of digital literacy, not just like told to them like, Hey, here's what this is. But like guided through it with like a clear description of it along the way. People um, need to be taught and trained how to read media. Yeah. This is, 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 is yeah. kind of the point, and, and that's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Very true. Um, you know, it's and a I, skill and I'm set. Not saying, and I'm not saying I'm, like, perfect at any of this by any means, but it's like I, I feel like I've got just, just the right amount of, like, citizen experience to pass this along to mm. other folks and hope that they can shape their own vision and version out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sorry, dude. I have taken up too much of this podcast with oh, my no. own yicking and yakking no. today, but it's just it, when I when I get into what, you know, feels like a nice game of ping, you know, a soft yeah. game of ping pong back and forth, that's how some of these podcasts work out. And well, we don't good, talk enough, Nathan. Yeah, we yeah. do. And we this <laughs> podcast tells me that we clearly need to talk so much more. Yeah. Brent. Um, so let's close this out on yeah. your on your on your egg girl slinging Halloween stories because you remember the good Halloweens. Oh, well, yeah, my gosh. And growing up in that context, I mean, there was just um, – Carbonell's a great place to grow up as a kid. Yeah. Um, you, you know, because there's so many things that you get to access at the university with, you know uh, – uh, Dennis Fang was uh, uh, Car- Carmen Fang owned China House, and she uh-huh. she had three boys: uh, uh, Dennis, uh, Ben, also uh, also known as Ping, uh-huh. and, and James, and and they were my second family growing up. Uh, we we started off on a little league team together, me and Dennis, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Calvin Scott, uh, a, a worker for the city to work mm-hmm. the roads for the city, was our baseball coach, and. Uh, one year we finished 0 16, I remember, but uh, <laughs> and we were always we were either Carbonell Concrete or Lee and Hilliard. We were all sponsored by uh-huh. you know some kind of road road construction uh, uh, type of organization. Nice. But that's where I met Dennis. We were on the same little league team together, and you know after games we'd go get ice cream, and then after one game Dennis is like, "Hey, why don't we go to my, my parents' place, China House?" Uh-huh. We're like, "What? <laughs> you know, let's do that." Yeah. And, and so anyway, you know, he was really my best friend throughout. Uh, junior high and high school and and starting in junior high I started helping out uh during the halloween parties mm-hmm. when there was 20 30,000 people on the strip just with the most amazingly creative costumes that you could ever fathom oh my gosh and um, the, the piece that adam fletcher unearthed from 1980s the other day yes that, that was incredible because oh. that that was uh, that was one of the years i was there serving you know serving egg rolls and i, <laughs> I we wouldn't let anybody in, but the front door was basically a big vat of egg rolls that we were selling uh-huh. out, and you know we do a thousand over that weekend. Oh gosh! Uh, and it was yeah, it was a great People way to exper- walk up, give you however much money, you hand them an egg roll, and they're on their way. And it's such a safe way to kind of experience that as a twelve or thirteen yeah. year old too, kind of being able to to see everybody, but not you know. But of course, I would. I'd, you know, walk through the crowd up and down for hours too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it was a trip. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it was. I mean, you're generally safe enough to just meander about the crowd. And you'd be fine. I mean, I only remember one thing ever being thrown. I, I, I you, you, you know, and it was just, it was a shame. You, you know, you know that a university and a city couldn't work together to maintain something that, you know, that that was our our biggest economic weekend of the year every year. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just really, really. 
lack of forethought with, with, with that. And it, it, it's just it, almost as if no other town can throw a party because there's no way to manage it. Yeah. It's like, no, but, but wait, they all do. Yeah. It, you know, it, it just seems you like. You shut down some roads and you have a party, man. I mean, that's, that's guess what, man? Streets aren't only meant for cars. No, no. They're. And I, and I know we do have a challenge. You know, we're 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 quadrisected by by two state highways. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, there's a complexity in, in with, yeah. with that, and it's and there's a great limitation, unfortunately. But but yeah, I mean that was you know that's what people talk about the '70s and '80s and how things were. And I guess 1990 was the year that uh, a number of students started going down for the first time. 90, 90 91, and that's. I, I left in '86 to go to go to college, uh, but but yeah, soon after that, uh, really the decline started. I think, and I did come back during my, my middle it's of my. It's all your fault. What's right? that? All you my fault. Your, you pulled yourself out of the Jenga pile. It all started to come crumbling down. No. I did come back freshman year for one last Halloween. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But 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 yeah, that was. Uh, that, that, maybe that's why I'm also so focused on just needing these huge annual events because growing up as a as a kid. All of my memories are surround yeah. around those. Yeah, you know, Spring Fest. I, I have a memory of a Spring Fest that that the entire theme was potatoes, and, and, this, and they kept on playing the B-52s Private Idaho, and, and there was mashed <laughs> potato wrestling, and I can't find anybody else that has any recollection of that. But I swear that happened in the in the quad one year that it was the Spring Fest was just one massive potato festival, and everything was potatoes. <laughs> If anybody else remembers that, please, you know, post <laughs> let that. Brent know about Potato Fest. That I didn't just God, dream make that. Him not crazy. No. Oh. Mashed potato wrestling was incredible. It should, <laughs> should be done every year. Yeah. I and beyond beyond just the one-off activity that occurs during an annualized event that has notoriety <laughs> regionally, you know, uh, sectionally or nationally, whatever it may be. It acts as its own marketing platform for just general everyday activity, mm -hmm. right? Like to be known as this place for this thing then draws people in general who simply are attracted to a place for a particular thing because they think, ah, yeah, you know, this is just kind of the place where my people are and maybe I should be there. The cardboard boat regatta, you yeah, know, first one ever, first one ever launched. Now there's thousands of them. Thank goodness it's still going. Has that happened yet? Are you, is that on your radar at all? Uh, for, uh, I, I, for I should I should definitely be doing a podcast about like if, if there are people yeah. around that started the cardboard boat regatta. Well, well, Larry Bush helped start it. And, oh, okay, cool. He, yeah, right. yeah. So he's right. he also has, will have some early stuff to say about the Fuller Dome. All right, perfect. Yeah, from the year two thousand to two thousand ten. I just love yeah. how this has started to like spiral. Yeah, like into so much like yeah, you know, the podcast just turns into oh well, you got to talk to this person about this thing next, and now like this is this is the interwoven component that I wanted this project to like have. Well, you're, like, you're, you're helping to manifest some things that are now going to happen that wouldn't have happened without pulling all these folks together for these podcasts. Yeah, we've, we'll see. That's, yeah, that's no, I, I mean, with, without a doubt. I wouldn't be here talking about free uh. copies of Critical Path for whoever wants them. <laughs> Seriously, uh, I man. will deliver. <laughs> There's only one Brent Ritzo on planet Earth, so I'm easy to Google. <laughs> easy if you find Google. another, kill him because he's an imposter. <laughs> 
Thank you. <laughs> we didn't have the imposter on this episode of the WTF no. Carbondale podcast. However, we had the real Brent Ritzel for episode 70, of which I'm sure he will be back for maybe an episode 140. We'll just see how this goes. You can't see him, but he's doing a little dance of joy at this moment. Because <laughs> um, this is just how this goes. Uh, the WTF Carbondale podcast. We talk to interesting people about their interesting lives. Tie it all back to this little old place we call home and just love live our love living our lives. Uh, Amen, sir. Have a good one, folks. Whatever that one may be.